0: And let's get our Bibles out. We are in the book of Philippians. If you would like to turn to chapter one, what a pleasure dedicating my youngest granddaughter to the Lord. Jenny, of course, is my daughter, the CFO, played in the band, ran Sunday school. She's worn every hat there is to wear in this church and has become invaluable pups. My son in law, my son has uh, taken over my praise and worship uh, challenges here in the church, and it, it's been a blessing to watch him bloom and grow into God's will for him. My two grandsons, uh, they have their grandpa's heart, and I love them as much as I can, but I realize that all that we have is a gift from God. We own nothing. We have nothing that is ours that we can carry into eternity with us except The ones that we love, that know the Lord, will be with them forever. And that's a glorious investment to make this side of glory. Make your investment in people more than stuff. God doesn't need or want your stuff. Your stuff is not eternal. There is nothing on this planet besides the relationships that we have that you're taking to heaven with you. Nothing. Not even your clothes, not your wardrobe. Nothing of this world is following you to heaven. Your claim to fame, your wealth, your stocks and bonds, none of that follows you into heaven. What you've done for the Lord does, that follows you. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. (laughs) How many of you have been in jail? Don't raise your hands. But we know, of course, who you are. (laughs) We've seen you on milk cartons. We've seen you on late night TV. (laughs) Jail is not a pleasant experience for anybody, whether guilty or innocent. Paul finds himself in jail for two whole years. Nero had been waiting for Paul's accusers to show up and make their case against him. But he, as a Roman citizen, had the right to a trial in front of Nero. He was not going to get a trial that was fair in front of the Pharisees down in Judea. So he had appealed to Caesar. And now he is in a rented house. That's his right as a Roman citizen. Awaiting his accusers to show up and make their case before Nero. They never showed up. But Paul is on his heels for two years And I'm sure the thought occurred to him early on, why? Why am I here? Why has God allowed this? Now, you, of course, being such a mature Christian, have never asked that question, have you? Have you ever wondered what God's doing? You ever sat in a jail cell falsely accused? What would your crime be? Well, if you were Paul, your crime was you were a spirit-filled, on-fire Christian that believed in sharing your faith. Those times have not come to America yet. It's not against the law to be a Christian yet. But have you noticed there seems to be less and less embrace of Christianity by the United States of America. We seem to be distancing ourselves from God as a nation, distancing ourselves from the God who established this nation. If you doubt that, grab a history book grab an old one. We live in revisionist times. There are forces at work trying to delete God even from our history books, which is why you can't find, for instance, the Mayflower Compact of 1620 anywhere in any history book that is used in elementary, junior, or high school these days. They don't want you to know that people originally came to these shores in 1620, established Plymouth Colony to spread Christianity. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that they came here looking for the freedom to share their faith. It was embraced by the founding fathers that came after them by 150 years. That is what our nation is founded upon. We are drifting away from our roots. Rome had forgotten that there was a singular God His name is Yahweh, the God of Israel, but the God who had created the whole world. They served a pantheon of gods. It was popular in their society to rather chase after, instead of the things of God, chase after the things of the flesh. They were into entertainment. Their idea of social media didn't take place on a device as we have today, but they were into it nonetheless. Roman baths and the races and the wrestling matches and the hippodromes and the gladiatorial contests were all the rage. People lived for entertainment. Sounds like America today. Few seem to be chasing after God. To Paul, that was an alarming development. So while he is sitting in jail, he has the opportunity to pen four powerful letters. And because he was in jail for two years and only had to write four letters, each one was written under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. These words were written by Paul, but were in fact God-breathed. We may find ourselves yet in our own nation, being persecuted for being nothing more than Christians. There is an attempt by the God of this world, Satan himself, to shut down the Christian voice. I don't know what you do with social media, but I do know that most Christians don't talk up Jesus Christ on social media. I know that is a fact. And I would that we would take the same mindset that Paul does and see everything as a God-given opportunity because Paul would write the Roman church and say all things work together for the good. Then even sitting in jail served God's purpose ultimately for Paul. Every place that you find yourself in this world, you are there by divine design. Don't murmur, grumble, or complain. Oh, I lost my job. God's got a different mission field for you. Your work there is completed. Don't grumble, grouse, or complain. Move on. Pray. Seek the Lord on this. See what he would have next for you in the next chapter of your life. But don't rail against what God is doing. Yield and ask him, what would you like me to learn? How can I glorify your name in this job, in this circumstance? Even if I'm in jail falsely accused, can I serve you there? Paul found out he could, and he was there two whole years falsely accused. Had he not been in jail, I doubt that the books of Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon ever would have been written. God had a purpose. He does with everything that he allows in your life. All things work together for the good. Here's your problem. You're trying to figure out what God is doing and why he's allowing it. So with raised fist, at least in our arms, we're demanding an answer of God, why have you allowed this? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. He didn't ask you to understand. It says the just shall live by faith. Faith is not what you can see. Faith is a hope that you have in here that springs eternal because of in whom you have believed. Not what you've seen, not what you think, not what you can figure out. So stop it. All you're doing is stressing yourself out and everyone around you, trying to figure out, well, how's this going to be work together for God's glory? Just trust God. Trust God. You probably didn't hear me. Trust God. Don't try to figure him out. This book is the greatest encouragement to me because if Paul can find meaning for his life, and if he can find contentment and even joy itself in jail, why can't you? Where you're at, regardless of your station in life or the quality of your health care or your salary, none of those things matter. Are you content? That is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you full of the joy of the Holy Spirit? He's still on the throne. He's still God of the universe. He's got everything under control. Do you trust him? So are your joy, your contentment, ah, peace. What's peace? When you check your spiritual pulse, you find out it's about 50, and nothing can disturb you. I'm resting in him. Now, if you prefer anxiety, stress, and hassle, go for it. I, by the way, don't want to be anywhere near you, (laughs) and no one else will be as well. Because you're not walking in the will of God, certainly not walking by faith. You may be walking by sight, you may be walking by circumstance, but as a Christian, you're not walking by faith. So don't expect God to bless that or answer your prayers. It pleases God when we walk by faith. We had studied the first half of chapter 1. Now in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, we read what Paul has to say about how he sees things now that he spent a little time in prison. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my false accusation, this imprisonment, you know what? God has revealed to me it's really served to advance the gospel. Who knew? I thought I was just unjustly accused and thrown in jail. Who knew that it has really served God's purposes? I didn't see that at first. You never do. You ask the question that God will never answer. And I promise He'll never answer it. Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? He's asking you to trust Him, to walk by faith. Stop asking why. It undermines your faith and tells God and the whole world around you, you're walking in the flesh. Not the Spirit. Where's your victory? Where's your joy? Where's your faith? Where's your peace? It's evident to everyone around you, whether you have it or not, it speaks more of your personal spiritual walk and maturity than anything else you could ever say. Actions speak louder than words. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's looking forward to sharing the gospel with Nero. He's looking forward to appearing before him. And until that happens, he's chained to a Roman legionnaire 24 7. And these Roman legionnaires knew he was there being accused of something, but it wasn't a broach of Roman law. Everybody knew it. But Paul is the kind of guy that could see the silver lining in every dark cloud. If you're a Christ centered person, you need to adopt that worldview every dark cloud that God has allowed. Everybody wants plenty of sunshine, but the only way green grass grows is if it rains once in a while. So God allows a rain shower in your life once in a while. What's going to grow out of that? Your faith. Your faith. Paul could see the silver lining in every dark cloud. His only aim was the advance of the gospel. He said, I don't care if I'm ministering to a Roman legionnaire, Nero himself, or anybody in between. It's given him a chance to write these four prison epistles, and look how effective his ministry is. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm a Christian, that's my crime. But there's an interesting word there. You see where it says palace guard in verse 13? It's a Latin loan word. The whole New Testament was written in Koine Greek, but this is a Latin word. And you've probably heard of something like it before. Here it is called the praetorio. Praetorio. That's where we get the word the praetorian guard. It was an elite squad of Roman soldiers, about 3,600 in number, who were stationed at Rome, whose only job, like the Secret Service protects our president, their only job was to protect the emperor. These were powerful men, politically and militarily. They guarded not only the prize of Rome, but for three centuries, They also had their hand in Roman politics. There were several occasions where the Praetorians overthrew the existing emperor and then proclaimed his successor as the new Caesar of Rome. These were guys not to be trifled with. This is like SEAL Team 6 on steroids. This is is every special and elite force known to man all wrapped up in these Roman Praetorian guards. And they all came to know why Paul's in chains. I mean, you're sitting with the guy, chained to him for eight hours a day, and they swap out shifts every eight hours. what are you in here for? Being a Christian? (laughs) What? Didn't you kill somebody or murder or rob a bank or knock off a 7-Eleven? No, why are you really in here? I love Jesus. Want to hear about him? Paul thought this is a golden opportunity to minister to people that I'll never see again in this side of glory. Do you see life as that way, that every single person you meet every single day, oh, that's a person that I can minister to. I can smile at, I can say, uh, Merry Christmas, (laughs) I can tell about Jesus, reach something off the top shelf for some four-foot grandmother. There's a thousand ways you can minister to people, and you may never see him again until you see him in glory. May all that we do be done to the glory of God. He, they knew. He was a prisoner in chains. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. They see that I'm in jail, but the gospel isn't chained. I'm in chains, but the gospel is free to go to every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And where better for it to be birthed than here in Rome, where it can go to the ends of the whole Roman world? Paul, I'm sure, most of his life thought, if I can plant the gospel in Rome, the gospel will spread all over the place as people and missionaries and people that travel and Roman soldiers take the gospel with them once they've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. So it encouraged the church. Well, Paul's in jail, so let's pick up where he left off. And it encouraged the people. Paul had set a good example for others to follow. Do you? Do you set a good example for others to follow? That should be the goal of your life. Can I tell you something? People are watching. People are watching. My grandchildren watch me. My children watch me. And if I have done my best to set a good example, they will be my staunchest defenders when people come against me. My children will rise up and call me blessed if I do this thing right. Don't blow it with your children, but understand there's thousands of other eyes upon you in this life. Some of them will be coworkers or people that you brush up against at different events or, or parties or wherever you find yourself. Set a good example. I think people are today looking for examples to follow, but they're looking in all of the wrong places. the the people they want to emulate. They're looking for a good example, but look for it in the world of music or or vocal stars, sports celebrities, Hollywood icons. Do you hear what the world calls them? The world calls them icons, which is what? A false god. God is the ultimate example. American idol. Really? Do you know what the word idol means? False god. Are, Are we going to idolize these people? The only one that's worthy to be idolized is Jesus Christ. Not some singer or musician that God has blessed with a great voice. The world is full of idols and icons. So, who's yours? Who would you like to be more like than anybody else on this planet? Who's your role model, your hero, your idol? Who do you idolize. These are common terms that the world uses all the time, but they fail to realize their background, what those words really mean. The root of the word is idolo lotrea. What is an idol? An idolo lotreia. It is an idol that you can see with your eyes that takes the place of the unseen God. There is something within everybody that wants something tangible to worship. So in the ancient days, they'd carve out their little idols. They would cast them out of bronze or precious metals because they wanted something they could see, feel, and taste and touch to take the place of the one true living God. That's why God said in his law, don't make any idols. Don't make any idols not of things in heaven above or earth below. Don't do that because the God that you serve who created all of us in the world in which we reside is an unseen God. But because he knows the human race struggles with faith, he sent his son. So Jesus came and said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's all you need to hang on to in this life. Don't idolize anybody else. I can appreciate somebody with a good voice, but that doesn't tell you anything about their spirituality. We can admire somebody who's got wealth, but I don't need to lust after the money That's a God they serve. Can I be content with what I have? Have you ever struggled with contentment? Don't like where I'm at, Lord. I'm sure Paul didn't find jail enjoyable, but he was there by the will of God. Lord, I don't like this job you've got me in. I don't like the person that I'm married to. I don't like the struggles that I'm having with my health. I hate being broke. And yet if God has you there by divine design, it isn't so you can build up an idol, but so you can trust in the unseen, though living God. You don't need more money than you've got or God would provide it. You don't need a superhero out here. We've got Jesus Christ. And yet we tend to admire all of these things on TV. They all have their awards, country music awards. Who cares? Doesn't sound like country anymore anyway. Sounds more like rock and roll. Of course, I was built in the rock and roll years, so that's okay too, I suppose. They don't make good idols. When I was a punk kid and a guitar player, before I became a Christian, I had lots of idols, like Jimi Hendrix. They all died. Every one of them died. Drug overdoses. They served a different God than I ultimately came in contact with. Their God was alcohol or drugs or success or money. You live up to, if that's your God, you will come up shorthanded every single time. Paul says, I'm, I'm glad me being in jail has allowed you guys the freedom to, to share the gospel. I've tried to set a good example for you. I've tried to show you what faith looks like. Now, verse 15, Paul says, you know, it it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. They're trying to undermine me, talk bad about me, badmouth me, but others do it out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Boy, I'll tell you what, the whole idea of motives in ministry has just been broached why do you do what you do why do you do what you do paul is a strong fearless dynamic leader which means that he will have his enemies as well as his friends just the very fact that god is using you is going to create enmity and jealousy amongst some other immature christians They will resent you because you seem to have a stronger walk. They will hate you because you're out there winning souls to Christ and they've never shared their gospel with anybody. Paul knew that there were some who were jealous of his ministry and what God was doing in, on, and through him, and there are still some today that preach out of impure motives or out of a sense of competition or or are in ministry for the wrong reasons. Paul would later write Timothy and says some think that ministry is a way to get rich. Not for 99.9% of all the preachers I know. But Paul says, I'm glad either way, because either way, whether out of good motives or bad, Christ is being preached. But in verse 15, he notices some in ministry have less... Pure motives, envy, and rivalry arise from what? In verse 16, selfish ambition. Why do you do what you do? I think that there are still some today that preach out of wrong motives. They're doing it to make money, to be a celebrity out there. I, I just I struggle personally with celebrity pastors that think they're all that or preach to the TV camera when it's on them. And do their good work so as to be seen by men instead of to do it be pleasing to God because their spirit directed. Paul says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have to adopt that mentality of charity. If Christ is being preached, i got to say, hallelujah, I'm glad. Church down the block is growing. Praise the Lord. Hope many are coming to faith in Christ Jesus there. Uh, I, I hope, oh, this church over there is getting blessed. Oh, this church out at the other end of town, they're, they're just exploding. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't have a heart of competition. I'm not in competition with them. If I'm in competition with anybody, it's Satan. I want people coming into the kingdom of God. And anybody in Colorado Springs or around the world that's helping me in that endeavor, like Paul, he said, hallelujah, what do I care? Christ is being preached. I one time, oh, many, 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 many years ago, was a part of a denomination, and and I was on the church board, and they said, well, we we want to start a new work in town. And I said, well, where do you guys want to start the new work in town? And they said, where the money is. So we want to get up at the northeast part of town. Now, this is how long ago, again, it was. That was Village 7. There wasn't anything north of Village 7 in those days. But anyway, as we're sitting in this planning meeting, uh, before I had left the the denomination, I said, well, where are you going to plant?" it? Well, we're going to plant it up where uh, Rudy Elementary School is now, uh, up there off North Carefree. And I said, well, on that particular corner that you're looking at, there's a Methodist church and there's a Lutheran church. And there's an independent work. It's got three churches on four corners of the street. Why in the world would we plant one there? And they said, because we don't have a denominational presence there. They should have said, praise God, Christ is being preached. Don't get into denominationalism, please. Well, there's not a Calvary chapel on that corner. Well, there's 16 other churches within a one-mile radius of Austin Bluffs and Academy, but we probably ought to plant another church there. What? How about we plant one in Lyman or in Holly? Or Ray, Colorado. You said, I haven't ever heard of any of those towns. Can I tell you they need Jesus? They need Jesus. It may not be the rich part of town. You may not experience explosive growth, but those folks need Jesus. And once they become Christians, they need a shepherd. They don't need a hireling. They don't need somebody looking for a monster paycheck. They just need a shepherd that will care for the sheep. Like Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. He didn't say count heads, nickels, and noses. Ministry, if it's about money, you need to get out of the ministry right now. Because the love of money will cause you to do things by way of compromise that you would have never thought to do had you not attained celebrity status. You want to prefer to remain a nobody and a servant to all. Nobody knows who the servants are in a household in Roman days, those were the people who had no names at all. Who cares? That's just servant, one, two, and three, and four. But Jesus said, "If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, be the servant of all." Same word, do loss. Be a servant. Don't try. Don't strive for celebrity. Oh, I want to be the best in the world at this. You never will be. There will always be somebody better that comes along, or somebody younger who comes along. You ask these aging 45-year-old quarterbacks in the NFL, you know, their days, they're in their sunset years. Some of them are 30 years old, and they're in their sunset years. And yet Paul, here he is in his middle to late 60s, and he feels like, I'm just getting started. It all depends on where you place your hope. If you're going to worship something, please worship God. Don't turn on the TV to watch NFL games until you've spent some time on your face with your Bible open in prayer before the Lord. Don't do that because that tells the world NFL is your God. Oh, but Pastor Jim, there's so many good games on today. You think God is going to bring that up when you walk through the gates of eternity? How shallow are we as Christians that we put other things before God? 2,000 years ago, they'd have been called idols, and today we call it just good entertainment. And yet, if it takes our hearts away from God or, or changes our motives for doing the things that we do in this world, then it needs to be reevaluated. Verse 17, what he says is some preach out of selfish ambition, impure motives, but as long as Christ is being preached, Paul says, I can rejoice. Paul didn't have his eyes on individual personalities. He, only, he was driven by one thing. Is Jesus being glorified? That's the only thing that drove him. I don't know what drives you. Is it a paycheck? Well, I'm driven to go to work. I hate work, but I need the paycheck. And you don't see it as a ministry. You don't see it as a God-ordained calling upon your life. You see, it is some drudgery, trudgery that you've just got to get through the next paycheck, but you'll quit him in a heartbeat if you can find somebody that will pay you a nickel an hour more. Let me ask you this. Can you glorify God in that place? It's not about money. God could pour all. He could have you win the lottery tomorrow. If he thought you winning, it would serve his purposes instead of your own. Did you catch that? There's a reason you haven't won the lottery. You can't handle it. Oh, sure I could. I even saw a Christian one time with a T-shirt, and on the back of the T-shirt it said, Lord, let me prove to you that winning the lottery wouldn't change my heart. Really? Really? Paul says, either way, verse 18, from false motives or true, Christ is preaching. Because of that, you know what? I'm good. I got joy. I can rejoice in the Lord. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers, Paul assumes, you guys are praying for me, right? Maybe, maybe not. Do you pray for your pastor? Oh, dear saint, I wish, I wish you would constantly, please. We are so dependent upon you. As Tracy was pointing out, it takes a village to raise a, a family, It takes all of you to make church work. All of you. But we've got to be praying for one another. I need your prayers every bit, maybe more than you need mine. If you fail to pray for me, then you leave your Paul languishing in a jail cell with no hope of redemption because you're failing to pray for him. Why? Too much NFL on today. Don't have time, Pastor Jim, but you have time to eat but you don't have time to spiritually feed yourself. Am I missing something? Hmm. Paul calls us to examine where we're at and why we do what we do. Paul says, verse 18, I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers and the help given uh, by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Also, the same word that is used for salvation. Of course, Paul's already saved, so he's referring to his deliverance from jail. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He doesn't want to be ashamed of his behavior. He doesn't want to appear before Nero and choke. He wants to be prepared. He wants to elicit the people's prayers so that when he stands before Nero, when he stands before this praetorian guard, that he won't be cowed into silence, but he'll just be bubbling over with the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing with everybody who who will give him the opportunity to speak it out. Never be ashamed of Christ or the gospel. I know some of you, the Holy Spirit has prompted you on different occasions, I want you to tell them about Jesus, and you said no. You said no. You said, "Oh, I, I, I couldn't tell anybody about Jesus. Oh, I, I couldn't do it. What will they think of me? They'll think I'm some religious nutcase." So you think more highly of their opinion than God's, right? Don't let Satan quench the Holy Spirit inside of you. Be in the word of God, be in prayer, be in the spirit of God, be in praise and worship so that you're ready at the drop of a hat to say it's all about Jesus and give him honor and glory and praise. Because if you are not prepared by doing the things that I just enumerated, you will continue to stay silent and the demons in hell below will continue to rejoice at your silence. What I want to hear when I hit the heaven's gates is, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's how important this is. Listen carefully. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me in this world, then I will be ashamed of you when we appear before his heavenly throne. If you deny me before men, he said on another occasion, then I will deny you before the angels in heaven above. This is serious stuff. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Those quotes, by the way, were out of Matthew 10, 32 and Luke 12, 8, if you'd like to take notice of that, Uh, pray, pray for boldness and courage, pray for boldness and courage if you lack it. And that's what Paul says, "I, I pray that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21 is the most important sentence in the chapter. Highlight verse 21, the passage for this morning. If you don't have a highlighter, nudge your next door neighbor and say, did you sin so bad as to not bring your highlighter to church service this morning? Bring a highlighter. You're going to need two things in this Bible for the rest in this church for the rest of your life. Note this well. You're going to need your Bible. Bring a Bible. What translation? I don't care what translation. Whatever one you're going to read and heed. But secondly, bring a highlighter. Well, isn't marking in a brand new Bible a sin? It's a sin if you don't. It's a sin if you It will draw your attention to times where the Holy Spirit of God had your attention and drew that to you. And enough times of going back to it, it becomes a part of your life like this passage does for me, it did for Paul, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, Jesus Christ is the source, the secret to our joy, our peace, our contentment, even if in jail like like Paul was. The gain spoken of here is to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. It's the ultimate destiny for every Christian. It's the hope of our heart, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And yet, can't we be with Christ here and now when we pray, when we open our word? Well, I don't read well. Practice makes perfect. Get an easier-to-read translation, the New Living Translation, the TLT. That's a great paraphrase. Read it. I don't care what version of the Bible you read, and I will not argue with you about it. There's so many good versions out there. Then it's nobody's fault but your own if you're not reading it. If you're not reading it, how important is God to you? What kind of message does that send to other people around you? Oh, I love God, but I don't read. I don't pray, and I don't go go to church, but I'm good. Oh, you're not. You're deceived. That's different. I want to be with Christ 24-7. Can I be cleansed 24-7? Can I be filled? Can I be empowered? Yes, 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 yes. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. How would you answer that? For you to live is what? Oh, man, if I could just win the lottery. Oh, man, if I could win the World Series, if I could play guitar like Eric Clapton or or pups. If I, could, if I could just get out of Major League Baseball team or go to the, see the Super Bowl live or be the greatest NASCAR driver to ever lap a car around the oval, Sounds shallow to me. Sounds like you're tied to the temporal, not the eternal. And we should evaluate that life has meaning and purpose only in Christ. Life has no meaning or purpose apart from Christ. And only a Christian can say, for me to live is Christ. Thus, only a Christian can say, then, to die is gain. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. It's good. It's good now with the Lord. Man, when I see him face to face, woo-hoo, can't wait. When the trumpet sounds, oh, I'm going to raise my hands and give him glory and honor and praise as I waltz into heaven above. Only a Christian can say to die is gain. You can't say that if you're living for anything else or anyone else. For me to live is what? To be wealthy, to amass a fortune. If that's true for you, then to die is to lose it all. You can't take that stuff with you. I remember there was a story of a man who said, you know, when I die, I want every single penny of my wealth to be buried with me in the ground, along, by the way, with all of my Rolls-Royces and Bentleys and all of my fancy cars. I want them all buried with me. And so when they put him in the ground and his funeral service was done, his widow was asked, well, aren't aren't you down and out? I mean, you know, he didn't leave you a single penny to live on. She had a smile on her face and says, no, I did just exactly what he told me. I took all of his wealth and I put it in the bank and I wrote a check and I put it in the grave with him. So he can take it with him. Smart woman. Smart woman. <laughs> but the moral of the story is he couldn't take Nobody's going to heaven with a U-Haul. Okay, you can't take things with you, man. So I'm encouraging you then making an, uh, an eternal investment this side of glory. So you'll receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of, of heaven above. He says, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd rather to depart and be with Christ. I, verse 22, if I'm going to go on living in the body, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know to be with Christ or to continue here and, and serving you guys. I, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress, your maturity, and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul says, i got work to do still. God's not done with me yet. God's not done with you yet either. For some of you, he's barely started. The world has yet to see what one person can do that is totally given over to God and his purposes. The world is yet to see that that person. Fruitful labor. He wants to see the lost saved. He's torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which is more glorious. And he says, but what shall I choose? Well, it's really not our choice. You're breathing this morning by the will of God. Your heart is beating because God wills it to be so. On the day that he is truly done with you, you'll know it. How? You won't be breathing, and you won't have a heartbeat. Okay? So check your pulse. If you got a pulse this morning, God isn't done with you yet. If you have a pulse this morning, and it's not in tune with his, you haven't started yet. Live for Christ. If you're living for children, grandchildren, wealth, sports, entertainment, technology, you will be so severely disappointed when Christ calls you home. I want you to receive a rich welcome in heaven. How do you do that? How can I guarantee it? Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ this morning. Some of you have been slacking a long time spiritually. It's time to up the ante. All in. Push it all in. Say, God, i give you everything. I will worship you, I will serve you, I will love you, and your name will be on my lips till you call me home. And I don't care if they throw me in jail. They did Paul, didn't silence him, won't silence me either. These are interesting days that we live in. Paul was eventually released from his imprisonment. He was there about two years. In about the year 62, he was released And he went on, according to extra scriptural sources, went on a fourth missionary trip, took the gospel as far as Spain and England. Oh my, so those of you of Spanish and English descent, owe a great debt of gratitude to the Apostle Paul. God wasn't finished with him yet. God's not finished with you yet. You sink your teeth into him. You search out his word. You pray like there's no tomorrow because there may not be. Not for you. He can sound the trumpet and call any one of us home instantly, but I want you to notice, according to verse 23, that for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, conscious of the eternal, awake, alert, and oriented to time and person and place. Paul says, I know, verse 27 as we close, whatever happens, whether I get released or not, whether I die or not, whether I get incriminated or not, all of that's irrelevant. Here's Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. How? By standing firm in the faith in your trust, in your hope, in your confidence, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. and It's practical holiness. Let's look at it. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man, for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. I just want to hear that you're living for the Lord. I just want to hear that you're living for the Lord. John would write in first John he says, "I have no greater pleasure than to hear that my children are walking in with the Lord." No greater pleasure than that. That's true for a pastor. I have no greater I have no greater desire in my heart than to hear that you are walking Paul would write the Ephesian church and say, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And then he tells us how to do that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How can I be holy? He would say in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, children emulate their parents. They will never do what you say, but they will always do what you do. You want an alcoholic child? Be an alcoholic. You want to to teach your kids how to yell and scream and get out of control and not trust the Lord? Then be sure to do that in the home so they can see your bad example. You get the children you deserve generally. You raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they seem to turn out better. Well, there may be a period of backsliding where they get away, but the Bible promises this. You raise up and train up a child in the ways of the Lord when they're old, they will not depart from it. They'll Come back to that. That's the promise that we have. But what kind of example have we set? For those of you that are closer to my age, you're setting an example for your grandchildren. I want my grandchildren to be the most loved grandchildren on the face of this planet. I want to have Jesus on my lips. I want to pray with Him and love on Him every single time I'm around Him. Why? Because I didn't get none of that growing up. If you're my age, you didn't either. The baby boomers came out of a generation of people that came home from war. And had some issues before they knew what PTSD was. And you may not have grown up with the nurturing spirit that God intended. Well, your heavenly father can make up for that. Your father may have been a disastrous father figure. But don't impose that upon God because you had a bad dad doesn't mean he's a bad dad. He's the polar opposite of that. Stand firm, Paul closes out this passage with. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You know, the seed of the gospel falls on all kinds of different soil. Jesus gave a a parable about that one time in Matthew 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and quickly ate it up. But some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But notice that it sprang up quickly in response to that gospel seed. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they were withered. And because they had no root, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He has ears, let him hear. Now you may be just like the disciples who at that moment were scratching their heads going, we have no idea of what you're talking about. Feel free to ask the Lord. They did. And later on then in verse 18, Jesus explained it to him. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And here's where you want to insert yourself in the story. There's only four kinds of soil. What's the condition of your heart? This morning, is it hard? Is it unyielding? Is it soft? Is it supple? Do you allow the Lord God Almighty to disc and harrow that hard soil so that it might become productive and fruitful? You've got a heart condition with you that you brought to church this morning. Let's find out which one it is. Anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. Some of you may have come in here this morning unsaved, and it's your full intention to walk out the same way. Hard heart. Trampled underfoot, birds of the air, Satan will pluck that right out of your heart before you hit the back door. But, Jesus said, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word of God and at once receives it with joy. But, since he has no root... He only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Second condition of the heart. Oh, yay, I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus. But as soon as trouble or persecution comes, (laughs) that's too high a price. I'm walking away. Maybe you know some people like that. Third type of soil, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns, is the man who hears the word, Gratefully accepts it, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Well, I'm not making as much money in ministry as I thought I was going to. I guess I'll quit and be a greeter at Walmart. It'd probably pay better. Too hard being a Christian. Man, I've got to give up my case of beer a day? Really? You mean i got to stop sleeping around? I can't do drugs anymore? How does that glorify God? No, of course you can't. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If they haven't become new, it's because you have not become new. You're not, be bo- you're not born again, Jesus said. You must be. There's a fourth type of soil, and this may be you. If you haven't been, had your toes stepped on by the other three. But the one who received the Word of God that fell on good soil is the man who hears the Word and understands it. His life, it produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what has been sown. So what kind of soil does your heart represent? Where are you at with the Lord? Maybe your heart is a little bit harder than you'd like it to be. Then here's your prayer, and you can pray it right now in your heart of hearts. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. Forgive me my lukewarmness disk and harrow up the soil of my life so that I can receive the seed and it'll hit some fertile ground instead of a hard heart. Soften my heart, Lord. Maybe your heart is hardened towards the Lord. Maybe it's hardened towards your spouse or this desperate world that needs Jesus. Maybe you have a hard heart in different areas. God wants you to have a soft and tender heart in every area of your life. If that's not you this morning, you need to give that to Jesus Right now. Don't wait for me to pray. You bow your head and you be talking to Jesus right now. Don't wait for me. Persistent persecution of the church and the rejection of the gospel. It's a sure sign of our faith and their ultimate destruction since it involves their rejecting the only way of salvation. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. When Christians in persecution and difficult times remain steadfast, it's because they are anchored in the Lord. I don't know what you're anchored to. If you know anything about a small boat anchor, you drop an anchor at the bow, and the boat is free to pivot around the anchor chain, and it'll always head into the wind. When the winds are blowing strongest, it'll head right into those winds. That's what the anchor is designed to do. If Jesus Christ is your anchor, doesn't matter how hard the winds blow. My boat is free to pivot and anchor. I can be flexible. He's going to see me through any of life's storms. But you've got to have the anchor. Without an anchor, you're just blowing around. You know, Paul says in verse 30, you're going through the same struggle I had. The Romans don't like you any better than they liked me. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When one part suffers, we all suffer. He would write the Corinthian church. I just have a few takeaways that I need you to write down if you're a note taker. Number one, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. How many things? All things you're only robbed of your joy going through those trials when you try to figure out why and resent God having placed him in your life in the first place. All things work together for the good. Do you believe that? Then act like that. All things. Don't murmur, don't grumble, don't complain. Embrace it. This is the will of God for me in Christ Jesus. For Paul it was sitting in jail, I don't know what it is for you but i know that the things that god allows in my life i have to embrace i have to embrace a couple of years ago i had a what was supposed to be a 15 minute surgery to repair an ankle i had torn in my uh, my right foot chasing grandchildren happens had a nerf war going on and it was great fun until something broke had a foot race going on in the hallway and my first step uh, Something snapped. Oh, ooh, did that hurt. Go to the hospital, 15-minute surgery, you'll be just fine. Piece of cake, be back on your feet in no time at all. Sure, fine. So I go to the hospital, and I get this massive infection. They hung 37 liters of IV antibiotics on me and couldn't clear up the infection. They were talking about amputation. For a 15-minute surgical procedure, I mean, agony, laying it up in the hospital, and I'm going, it's the will of God. It's the will of God. There's somebody here that needs Jesus. I talked to every doctor and every nurse and every therapist I possibly could. Talked to my surgeons. Nobody listened, of course, until I had one lady come in my ICU ward, and she's swinging them up. She's swinging them up. And she said, Well, how are you, Mr. Etheridge? Praise the Lord. And I said, Christian? I got a Christian here. This is cool. Let's talk. Let's pray. You know. It was just this little old lady, just cute as a button, and boy, she had the faith of a Billy Graham. And I knew why I was there. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me at all. He sent me this angel swinging a mop just to remind me it wasn't about me. But I was there because there's a whole herd of people in the medical profession that needed to hear about Jesus. You said, Well, you didn't see any fruit out of that, did you? No, but I may in eternity. What do I care? I'm the Johnny Appleseed of my generation. Throw seed. Where's it land? Who cares? Just throw seed. That's your job along with mine. Throw seed, spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere you can. Don't worry about what comes up. That's between them and God once you've done your part. But throw seed. It's a foolish person that throws no seed but expects a harvest. Does that make sense to anybody? Throw seed. This is your assignment today. What is it? It's only two words. Throw seed. Seed. Say it again with me. Throw seed. That's all you've got to do. Wherever you're at, whatever circumstance, you represent Jesus Christ. Motives are everything, and Paul tells us that secondly in verses 15 through 17. And rejoice when the gospel is spread, regardless of by whom. Don't be jealous of another church, man, work, or ministry. Rejoice. Pray. Have courage. Stand. Ah, Last but not least. For me to live is Christ. That's why I live and breathe this morning. It's by the grace of God, but there's yet work to be done. I don't know when God's going to be finished with me. You'll know. You'll be having my funeral. That's when I'm done. And I get to rest. Now, don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for my cat or my dog or whoever else, that's fine. Don't feel sorry for me because I'll be looking down from heaven feeling sorry for you. For me to live is Christ. But what about you? What are you living for? Christ or someone or something else? Be sure that you live a life worthy Set your eyes on Christ. Live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Be a grateful Christian. Set your eyes on Christ. Live a life that's pleasing to Him. And I can promise you this everything you face today is going to turn out just fine. If you keep your eyes on Him and give Him praise, honor, and glory. Huh? All things work together for the good. How many things? Say it. All things. All things all things. Here's what you got to do to stand firm as a Christian. You said it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm not going to try to figure it out. What in the world is he doing? I'm not going to whine, murmur, grumble, or complain. I see where that got the nation of Israel in its wilderness wanderings. Let's stand and close in prayer, shall we, as the band comes up. We are your servants. Help us to act like it. Help us to stand firm May we be firmly anchored in you and you alone, Lord Jesus. You're our hope, our strength. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Make our hearts always soft and pliable so that every time we open up the Bible and read it and pray and seek your face, you'll be scattering seed in the soft and fertile ground of our heart.